ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I don't know if I've told you guys uh, that I'm a bit of an athlete. And in 1994, I helped the Stars Restaurant softball team in Hingham, Massachusetts, win our softball league. I covered center field, like Venus Flytrap. Like, nice. Yeah. It was pretty Venus Flytrap from WKRP in Cincinnati. Are you Correct. making a reference to the WKRP softball That's episode right. yeah. where Gordon jumped? Hit, gets a hit with everybody off the field. Venus God, that that's a reference. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Oh. Fellas, how are you? It is winter break for uh, the three of us educators, is it not? It is indeed Tim Plain, and we find ourselves in the afternoon and not the evening. So yep. I wonder if there'll be a different vibe. And usually it's kind of like a smoky nightclub vibe. Yeah, Tim exactly. And I, you know what I mean? You can hear it's the, like after they... dinner. I've had a couple of glasses of wine. Now I'm like I'm at work. I was just grading. It's going to be a different vibe for sure. Yeah, I was going to say you can, no martini glasses clinking in the background of this podcast. This yes. is indeed day one of my winter break with my new administrator's schedule. I had to work several days last week after the kids went home so but this now is my you're first out day home. now you're done? I'm out but only for a week and then i go back before you're an administrator is. now apparently i have to sit in my office and pretend to be doing work which i'm happy you know, to i was do. about to say when nobody's there are you just like stealing staplers like what are you doing i'm i'm stri- i'm being strategic then i'm strategically uh, thinking about the future i like yes. it Plagiarizing. He's three steps ahead of us. Uh, For ben. sure. Oh, right totally. And that's that's why he has to drive to work and sit in an office to think. That's a good start. <laughs> well, <laughs> welcome to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys on the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. Big news uh, happened in this past week. We reached 50,000 listens on this little Ooh, podcast. That's amazing. That's truly amazing. We started this and our goal was a thousand listens. We worked our way to a thousand. Then we said, you know what? 20,000. That's a crazy high number. And now 18 months later, we're at 50,000. That really is extraordinary. Well, what's our, is there a cap? Is there not anymore? We have blown through the cap. (laughs) I think also, Timmy, we're going to leave it up to those boys in marketing. You know what I mean? They're just killing it. Jeff and I are extra, extra grateful. Well, we got to thank also the people of India who have, what, put us over the top here. India now jumping into second place, uh, 7% of all of our listens. That's fantastic. Isn't that incredible? 
That really well, is good. What is our appeal to the people of India? Our area the better question is what is Whittacism. our appeal? <laughs> <laughs> Very well, good. Like, hey, there I'll was another you. major milestone this week. Can we take 30 seconds to congratulate Wardell Steph Curry on becoming the all-time three-point champion against the New York Knicks? <laughs> oh, that's a rough... The, the Celtics beat us last night too. You want to bring up that? No, like, I don't. Let's just want to... go ahead and pile on. <laughs> Who cares the about the Celtics? Yeah. I just wanted to bring it up, not because uh, Steph Curry is my all-time favorite athlete, which he is, and it's not even close. Um, he's also all four Beatles wrapped in one. To make a back reference, he's okay, got let's... the once in a generation Mozart let's... talent of of Paul, the killer instinct Moving of on. John, the friendly, down-to-earth qualities of Ringo, and the general weirdness of George. He's, he's the whole package. Do we? <laughs> exactly. Very Beatlesque. I, I wish people could see Ben's face. Can we kill Mike on this podcast? Hey, I wanted to uh, share with you Bruce McDonald's comment about our podcast. Bruce is an artist in Vermont. And he said, um, I ran into you three and started from the beginning of your podcast. I just drove to Florida and back for an art show and listened to sweet tunes and you three mystical musical idiots for days on end. Love you guys. I, I didn't even, I don't remember being in the car with Bruce McDonald for this trip to Florida, but apparently we went with him. I like mystical musical idiots. I'll take it. That's, that's amazing. I mean, really, that should go. That's on all of the promotional materials. If I'm in the market, MMI. he Myth- says, anyway, because we should going. do like the Beatles cover. Where we're all dressed up as animals and it should say magical, mystical idiots <laughs> across <laughs> the top. It would really be great. Uh, he says, keep it going, Bruce. We surely will. Uh, I love his uh, list of things that he's done in his lifetime as his own musical, mystical idiot. But let's get to the music, people. It is time for the Grammy winner. Uh, Ben Barton, what do you think? We've been kind of going back and forth lately. Are you going to give this one a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Which way are the Grammy voters headed in 1994? It's the Grammy winner. MTV Unplugged by Tony Bennett. Here we go. Johnny Mercer from Savannah, Georgia. You know, he was, he was asked what his very favorite popular song was of all time. He said, a song written by a colleague of mine, Gus Kahn from Chicago. And here's that wonderful song. It seems like dreams, like I've always had, could be, should be, making me glad. <laughs> Why am I blue? It's up to you to explain. I'm thinking maybe okay. are we good? We're good. This is not what the people. What in the actual fuck was that? I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> it's the MTV Unplugged performance of Mr. Tony Bennett. Oh, that's what it is. Oh, that's so great. That is freaking hilarious. <laughs> that unbelievable. Makes me super happy. That's so good. They were like. You know what was amazing is when we did that Clapton Unplugged. It was basically a soft jazz record. But I feel like, did we really hit it? And same with Unforgivable or Unforgiven, what was it? Oh, Unforgettable. Unforgettable. 
Yeah, that's a this brutal. is the last hurrah of a whole wave of people who are all about to have heart attacks and die for sure. It's that's, unbelievable. That's amazing that they're like the Tony Bennett unplugged. That makes me really happy. That's not even they're not even in the neighborhood. No, you know what I mean? What Clapton Clapton was popular at some point in the last decades before the 90s. But I mean, Tony Bennett, good lord. I know what's amazing is Tony Bennett wins this Grammy and then he stays like relevant as a shticky pop icon for until until he's dead. He's on the Simpsons, Lady Gaga. He's like he's like the Betty White of singers. Like, isn't he alive? Is he still alive? I'm pretty sure he's alive. Oh, I thought he just passed away. Am I probably wrong about that? Because if he didn't pass away, there's Tony Bennett MTV Unplugged 2 coming out any second. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, he's alive, man. Born he is 90, alive. Born he's in 1926. 90, he's 95 years old. That's yeah. Oh. It says years active, 1936 to 2021. Did he, what does that mean? Did he just retire or, or is he dead? He's still I, 21, man. He's still active. He, that means he started singing in person when he was 10 years old. He was born in uh, oh. 1926. I'm sorry. He retired from concert performances in August of 2021 due to physical challenges. Well, there you go. You know, he has the bronze star from World War II. Wow. Tony Bennett. So Uh, what song was that? Yeah, I'm looking at the track listing. It had to be you. That was it had to be you. Yeah. It took a minute. They were were taking the long road to where that (laughs) turned into it had to be you for sure. Wow. What All would right. be the one that you would like? What's the one that I might have heard? I don't know. I thought it had to be you because when Harry met Sally, we'd all be like, okay. Oh, right. How about they can't take that away with from me? They can't Featured take Elvis that Costello. Oh, I wonder why I don't like Elvis Costello sometimes. Oh, shut up. Oh, that wow. is so bad. Wow. I'm, so I'm playing bad. that. Hold on. Here we go. I'm giving a little bit of that. Elvis Costello. <laughs> you might have heard of him. Big in 1970. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right. Enough clapping. Here we go. The song is ended. Oh my God, Jeff, come on now. You got to eat this. I do. <laughs> Tough one. This is a hard beat for you, for sure. Oh, listen to that vibrato, Ben. Yeah, no, this version of Costello is not my favorite. With the, oh, like, you think? The, cro- <laughs> the croony, croony Elvis is pretty cringy. I agree. I totally agree. All right, well, we got to move on. Uh, love to stay and talk some more Tony Bennett, Elvis Costello with you all. But it's 1994. If, if you want to hear about Nelson Mandela's election, Nancy Kerrigan's attack, OJ's arrest, Kurt Cobain's suicide, those were all covered in season one of 1994. Nice. Instead, Jeff Simons, let's talk about Stephen Breyer, who was confirmed to the Supreme Court in 1994. Yeah, because you want to talk to me about Supreme Court justices. I'm the I'm the one of the two people on this podcast you want to reach out for Supreme Court justice information. Well, I, I thought you just um, are publishing a book on the Supreme Court, are you not? I, I am. I believe it comes out February 8th, and the initial reviews are pretty positive. I'm feeling Wait pretty good about minute. it. I got my I got my talent I got your confused. guys confused. Uh, ben oh. Barton. You've Very, got a book too kind to me, two kinds. Yeah, no, what? totally. The Credentials Court coming out in uh, February 8th. And uh, very excited. It's about uh, Supreme Court justice backgrounds before they got on the court. And it argues that today's Supreme Court justice model 
really exemplified by Stephen Breyer, but also by, you know, Scalia. Um, Scalia and Stephen Breyer have a remarkably similar, like, like experience of lives. They, they, Breyer went to Stanford, and I'm pretty sure he went to Harvard, and then he was a professor at Harvard, and Scalia went to, I don't know, Harvard, Harvard, maybe. Um, and then he was a professor at Virginia and at Chicago. I mean, basically these like super extra fancy backgrounds and then super extra fancy jobs. And then you'll be surprised to find out when they get on the, the court, they, they kind of think they're smarter than everybody else. And that's how they write and that's how they act. Uh-huh. Well, I, I was reading an article today about the Biden administration trying to figure out how to soft shoe retirement to Stephen Breyer. It has not gone well. Oh, I do you think they've already oh, made no, dude, uh, they've already been overtures? channeling and doing everything they can for sure. No and he, he's all set. He doesn't no retirement. He feels like if he retired, that would make people think that the court was a partisan institution, which would really be a heartbreaker. That would be the big wake-up <laughs> call. Is oh, if he boy. retired on purpose so Biden could replace him. Oh <laughs> uh, wow. All right. Um okay, Jeff Simons, this question is for you. Who won the World Series in nineteen ninety-four? Nobody. Wow. Right? Isn't this the strike year? That is, that is correct. You got that right away. I'm very I impressed. remember 94. Like, that was the year I stopped. Like, I fell out with baseball for a really long time after that. Uh -huh. Like, I actually was like, uh, like, when we were together in grad school, I was paying no attention to baseball. I was so pissed at them. Yeah, because um, of 94. Yeah. Um, and I mean, whatever. It was dumb to be mad at a strike. I mean, like, it's just a work stoppage. But I there was just something about it that I needed a break. And it wasn't until the Giants opened that new, really beautiful park, which has had 19 different names in the city that I got uh -huh. back into it. I mean, part of the problem was I was mad about the strike. And then part of it is like when Candlestick Park and Oakland Coliseum were the two stadiums I could go see baseball in, like they That's were rough. the two worst places to That's see baseball really in the rough. major leagues. <laughs> and so I just I just let it I let it slip. But in 94, there's no way they were the two worst. First of oh, all, yeah. The vet in Philly. The, the vet, vet in Philly was Philly. equally awful. No, yeah. I went to all three of those stadiums in that time frame. And yeah. the vet in Philly was way the worse. You're right. Worse. The vet in Philly was like a, was horrible. That was a horrible stadium. No, it did. Like, first of all, it had the artificial turf. <laughs> yeah. And then in the outfield, it had stains, like as if God yep. had spilled coffee on the carpet. Yep. It and really like, did. It's a fake rug. Like, can't you pick it up? Like, why is there a large brown <laughs> stain? Can you wash uh, it? <laughs> Those were the Juan Samuel years. I just oh, remember totally. like that was their guy. Juan Samuel was just gonna was just a year away. Just like Sean Dunstan and the Cubs. He's just like a year away from being great. Oh, Sean Dunstan. Oh, dude. And also, I mean, the Philly fans are already angry. That miserable stadium with a oh. crappy team. It was like a place that people, it was like a hockey game. They just went <laughs> yep. to get drunk and fight, but they yep. just didn't care at all. Yeah, you're right. The vet was worse. But you got to admit that candlestick would be like 38 degrees and windy. Yeah. It was miserable. Sure. Wind. Sure. And, and the A stadium is nothing to cheer at. No. I mean, it was brutal. All right. Well, in 1994, we had uh, Woodstock 94. We're going to play a little game called Were They There? Ah. I'm going to give you... Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. I'm going to give you five acts for each night. You tell me which one wasn't there at Woodstock 94. Friday night, Suzanne Vega, Blues Traveler, James, Live, and Cheryl Crow. Who was not at Woodstock 94? Cheryl Crow. Suzanne Vega. Suzanne Vega was not Oh, Jeff's going to murder me. At Woodstock 94. Saturday night, Blind Melon, Aerosmith, 
Nine Inch Nails, Cranberries, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Nine Earth, Wind, nails. and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire was not there. We have oh two zero. <laughs> I thought that was too obvious. I know. Uh, and on Sunday, Traffic, Bob Dylan, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Phil Collins, Spin Doctors. Phil Collins. Traffic. Phil Collins was not at <laughs> Peter Gabriel was at Woodstock 94, but not oh Phil Collins. That's yeah, actually... I got an amazing Nine Inch Nails joke told by Triumph, the insult comic dog. Oh, I, know. So I love Triumph. Triumph is the uh, com- com- comedian act at Bonnaroo the year that Nine Inch Nails are playing. And so he's going through all of the headliners and insulting them. So he yells out to the crowd at the comedy thing. He's like, are you excited to go see the Nine Inch Nails? And everyone's like, yay. And he's like, me, I am less excited to see the Nine Inch Nails. I will see them next year at Six Flags. (laughs) (laughs) It just murdered me. It's so funny. (laughs) That, That is rough right there. All right. The number one selling album of 1994... Go for it. America okay. Speaks, Jeff Simons. America Speaks. It's the number one album. The Lion King soundtrack. Hakuna Matata. Oh, yeah. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. It ain't no passing craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem free. enough of that um does elton john write that song or someone else write that song i don't know somebody else wrote that one i'm pretty sure okay um he wrote can you feel the love tonight i know yeah, he, he wrote I, that I one. Know that. yeah and circle of life he wrote um, plenty he's plenty but, responsible for that no no it's hakuna matata's uh written by elton john lyrics by tim rice there you go wow that's that really actually now that I hear it that way, I, I hear the Elton Lilt. That, that explains my feelings about Elton John. Also. I'm getting all the Eltons today. I'm really a little crocodile out. rock in there. Is what you're yeah, saying? no, for sure. Um, so my student Ian Hutcherson loves that album. He thinks it's the greatest uh, soundtrack ever. He loves Elton John. Um, and, and, you know, I've mentioned Ian before to you guys because he's the one playing Boz Skaggs at our volleyball matches. He has serious beef with us, serious beef with the podcast. And he has written us what can only be described as a diatribe about our 1993 podcast. I will give you some highlights. August and Everything After is one of the greatest debut albums of all time. Five of the 11 tracks on the album are the band's, are the band's greatest hits and very well known by most who grew up in the 90s. The, the debut album from the Counter Crows opens with one of these classics, Round Here. The song details where, it, where the band comes from, the same place that we, the listener, come from. Round Here? <laughs> Stop. That's, I guess Stop. that's not inaccurate. The Counter Crows' <laughs> most popular song, Mr. Jones, explores the main theme of the album, 
want to be some wanting to be something greater. Juxtaposed to the previous slower tracks, Mr. Jones gives a glimpse of the band's greatest strength. Their music can grab you by the hand like your high school girlfriend and take you on a wild journey, even if only for a few minutes. He goes on and on and on attacking us for not choosing August and everything after for our greatest album of 1993. Jeff Simons, could you just play a little bit of one of your favorite songs from that album? Oh, I'm going to play the the signature moment from the whole record. You ready? Okay. Here we go. That yeah is everybody in the Bay Area does that uh-huh. yeah with each other in rehearsals because we I don't mean to I don't mean to play uh, one up with Mr. Ian, but I'm actually legitimate friends with a couple of counting crows like uh-huh. we've been in each other's houses and know each other's kids names and attend Warriors games together. And when we have a really good take in rehearsal, my friends and I will look at each other and go it goes really well so that for me is the signature moment on august and everything after by the way that's a top five kind of crow song right there no not for me but there's that's only because there are so many fantastic kind of crow songs that rain king doesn't make your top five nope i do love that song though that's great but i mean i just like so the reason I didn't pick August is we talked about the Crows already. Right. I, I mean, not only do I love this band, but I actually love a couple of guys in this band a lot. Like, I love these guys. I'm a huge fan. I have no beef with anything Ian said. Um, but we're just trying to spread love around with more than one band on this podcast. So. And I got good news and bad news for our brother. Okay. The good news is I am going to choose the kind of Crows record. The bad news is August and Everything After is my third favorite. Yes. It's my second, but the, you're going to pick the best one because the best one is unquestionably not this one. No, no. I'm, I already talked about that last time, so I'm yeah. going to choose a different one. No way. Well, that's oh, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. I, I'm sorry. I feel a little lost and confused. Uh, Recovering Ray, the Satellites is my favorite. It's Jeff's favorite. And in my opinion, it's the best. That yeah, the, the best second one. record is their best yeah. record. Recovering the Satellites is one of the all-time awesome. top 50 records. I love okay. it. Well, and But you have a second one before this one, Ben. Correct. Which is coming up. Find out. Strap yeah. into me. Teaser. Marketing wow. tease. That someone's been someone's been studying how to be a host. Good job. Yeah. Just gotta keep coming back. Gunning for my seat. I see. No, but this uh, record's great. I, I mean yeah, it's I, so great. There's not a bad song on it. And, and Ghost listen, Train is not great. There's a couple listen, of slowy ones, but there's so many great ones. But that thing was on a loop in my uh, car. Just never took it out of the uh, cassette deck there. Yeah, All right. What did you choose? Why didn't you choose that one? What was your 93 selection? I might have a Counting Crows coming up as well, Ben. Ah, uh, oh, right. Uh, uh, did you choose the Cranberries or something? Yeah, like, I chose the freaking Cranberries over August out, and everything Tim. after. First of all, why are you back at the bus with me and Jeff? We've already both expressed our love for this band. You're the problem. You're the one who owes this guy an apology. 
I love the crap. All right. Anyways, let's move on into our <laughs> invitation to cynicism. Jeff Simons, you're a fan of local music and believe in I supporting am. local music, right? I you am like indeed. local acts, local bands. I also, do. Also, Jeff Simons, you like punk music, do you not? I like punk music and I like local bands. I like where this is headed. So you are a big fan of Green Day. Early Green Day, I am. In 1994, am. Dookie comes out. It sure does. Which launches them nationally. Hit, hit us with a song. Go. Uh, well, let's, why overthink it? Let's just go. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I am one of those melodramatic fools, neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it. Sometimes I give myself the creeps. Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps adding up I think I'm cracking up And am I just paranoid? Am I just up? Alright, hold on I win. Now we can stop, that drum fill is so badass <laughs> So you like this album? I do Oh, you like where does Green Day fall off for you then? Uh, probably around Warning. There's a record where all the songs sound like late 60s Kinks ripoffs, and it's all gotten a little too slow for me. Um, and then they became so big, they're like, I mean, I, I respected American Idiot, but I didn't enjoy listening to it as much as I wanted to. Like, I like the idea, and like, I'm never going to make fun of a band for trying to make nine-minute songs. That's awesome. But it doesn't move me the way the early stuff is. But I really like Kerplunk. And Dookie and Insomniac, I didn't like when it first came out, but I actually like it a lot compared to how I liked it. And then like Nimrod, uh, Warning, I start to fade. And then I have not had a lot of time for them. Like they did those three Uno Dos Trace records. I thought there was like a good song in each one of those. And the okay. last record I didn't love, but um, but I had no problem with Green Day. Like they they uh, they work really hard and and uh, They've raised a mighty racket as a trio like that. You know, they haven't, you know, they, they haven't made a, uh, an embarrassing record as far as I can tell. And there's still a good live act. I dated a woman in graduate school who called them posers from Pomona. Well, she's completely wrong. They're not <laughs> a not from Pomona and be pretty darn good. <laughs> ben Barton. I mean, so I like them, too. And I definitely like this record for sure. I bought this record. and I like this record. Um, when we talked about Nirvana, Jeff pointed out that Nirvana was like a remix of older music. Um, this one's not even really a remix. No, it's just, it's just older music. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, so that's stiff little... like I actually, I like that genre and actually, you know, I like think guitar sounds a little bit different, so that's good for me, but it's really, really, really just straight ahead power punk of a kind that's not, they're not at like they're, it's good, but they're not adding a lot to it. At no, least my take on it. Okay. No, it's like Stiff Little Fingers meets The Jam meets like all that first wave of uh, pop punk music. Totally. Dookie. That's his name, Dookie. <laughs> all right. So you were offended by it. You thought a record named after two. The first two records are named after taking a poop 
and that probably bummed you out because Kerplunk <laughs> is is also a reference to that particular event. Okay, I did not realize that, um, <laughs> but that's good. Good that I know that now. I'm, I feel smarter. Are you anti Green Day because of your that that uh, unfortunate um, moment no. with a no no with no your grad school I, girlfriend or no no I I, I just think. Um, I think I didn't like them in the nineties cause I didn't really believe them. Uh, but now when those songs come on, I, I kind of groove. And those I are working like- class kids from, from Berkeley who came to that anger totally legitimately. I mean, those aren't posers for sure. I mean, I agree with Ben that they're revisionist and they don't break any new ground, but they, they're true believers for sure. Also, do you remember how great their set was at Woodstock 94? That's the show where the, the audience tears up the turf and starts having a giant sod fight. Oh, and they start yeah, throwing yeah. it at the band and, and he catches a big piece in his mouth. And the whole mud battle starts with their set and they just play a 29 minute just barn burning <laughs> up, down and all around set where they're throwing dirt back at the audience. It's if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube like it's a star making moment. Like they're oh, just fun. so perfect for that. They're a perfect soundtrack for that mud fight. All right. Well, Ben Barton, it is time for you to make your uh, comeback on this podcast. I think you're down 3 nothing uh, because of Woodstock 94. But guess what, Ben Barton? People died in 1994, and you have a chance to benefit off their death. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Let's go. Who died? Politics. Crook. Checkers. Nixon. Nixon. Ben Barton won nothing. Oh, am I playing? I thought you were just giving him points. <laughs> mute, wait, like, seriously, no, we have to mute you, Jeff, so that I could get some. Okay, I'm out. I'm muted. No, of course you're playing. Unmute yourself. Okay, okay. That was Nixon. Get, by the way, you got on the way to Checkers, and I was like, is Jeff even going to say anything? I thought it was your chance to have fun. <laughs> All right. Second person, comedian, Canada. Oh, John, Candy is. John Candy is uh, Politician. Boston. Speaker of the House. Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill. Four to two on the day. Let's get to che- our- I thought you were going to do Cheers cameo for Tip O'Neill, too. Oh, which was- I could have done that. Yeah. Our three albums. Let's go. Our three albums. I have no idea who goes first. Me neither. I'll go ahead and do this thing. In 1987, two weirdos, Michael Dorf and Louis Spitzer from Madison, Wisconsin, open the Knitting Factory in on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And actually, it's been in three different locations. It's now in Brooklyn, the Knitting Factory. I've seen a number of shows there. I can't, I'm pretty sure I saw it at the second location. They opened it up in a former Avon Beauty outlet. Basically, there's this empty storefront, and they're like, oh, let's open this up, and we're going to make an avant-garde jazz place in here. They don't have a liquor license. They just open the place and start having jazz shows in there. At that time in the 80s, there were a bunch of jazz clubs in New York, but they were all like the bottom line. They were all like very serious, old school jazz people. And there was no place for the the super weird, new, modern jazz stuff that was going on to play. And so the Knitting Factory fills this hole. And it's like a hilarious, old-fashioned 
only in New York in the 70s and 80s and maybe early 90s could something like this happen, where there's like, the rent is cheap enough. They don't care. They're, like, they're literally put in a club without telling anyone. <laughs> <laughs> they eventually get around to getting a liquor license. Anyhow, they uh, like after a couple of weeks, the one of the bands that they booked was like, what are you doing? And the guys were like, well, we don't know what we're doing. And he's like, just give me 175 bucks a week and I'll just book this place for you. And so he starts booking it. And all of a sudden it's Bill Frizzell and John Zorn and like all of the best guys in New York are all of a sudden playing there all of the time. And the place just takes off like a rocket. That takes us into the early 90s when a young man named Mike Doughty is the bouncer at the Knitting Factory. He takes the tickets at the front door and because he's an army brat and a weirdo, he's lived all over the country and he came to New York to go to the new school to study poetry. Needless to say, he drops out so he could be a bouncer at the Knitting Factory. And he also does scat poetry at the door. That's one of his things. Like people come and he's just doing this free form poetry. He gets to be pretty good friends with some of the players there. And Jeff, can you name the band? I cannot yet name the band. Soul Coughing. Oh, Soul look Coughing at you. is born in the Knitting Factory. And in 1994, they put out their debut album, Ruby Vroom. Now, first, let me just get this out of the way. This is a band that's too clever by not a half, by like 18 halves. They are way, way, way too clever. It's literally scat poetry over an old-fashioned jazz background. Like, it's a stand-up bass, and then there's a drummer, and then there's actually, like, a weird keyboardist who also does weird looping samples. So that part's kind of new and experimental. Under no And it didn't chart. Um, under no circumstances would I know about this band, except for my dear friend, Kate Splain, who was, in fact, working at Warner Brothers Records in 1994, writing liner notes. And again, like, just the way the record companies used to work, like... She earned a six-figure salary in her 20s writing liner notes for albums as like part of a team of 35 that did this. Like, it's just <laughs> insane how it used to be. I had a job interview at a law firm in LA, flew out to LA, and I was like Ben Bart, international lawyer. Like, I was so excited to wear my suit on the plane. Uh, and I, after the interview, I went and hung out with Kate's plane. So I got to go to the Warner Brothers music place in LA, see her office, and she just piled me up with the, the, the promotional CDs and of course, with her own opinion on each of them. And she was like, this will be good. No, yes, no. And she's like, oh, it's a shame you just got here where you miss Neil Young by a couple of hours. Anyhow, the Ruby Vroom, she just held in her hands and was like, I'm asking you to listen to this. And I was like, okay. And she was like, yeah, it's, it's a jazz quartet with mumbling poetry. And I was like, no, I'm not going to listen to that. She was like, no, 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 I'm telling you. I work at Warner Brothers Records. If there's one of these you're going to listen to, it's going to be this one. Couldn't have been more right. I freaking don't like, I love this record. Super experimental and weird, but it's like, and it's one of those things where it's a genre I do not like, but it's so exceptionally good that I like it. And it's like, gets extra points for me having to overcome all of the things that, it, that happened to it. Jeff and I saw the lead singer, Mike Doty in at Bonnaroo. We sure did. Six, and boy, did he tear it up. Man, his soul, he's got a bunch of solo records. That solo record that he was touring on, Haughty Melodic, which is actually an anagram of his name, Jeff. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. It took me like hilarious? six years to figure that out, but yeah, I did figure that out. Yeah. So that record is great, also. I could have chosen that record, but this is actually my favorite work of art by these guys. Um, I guess you want to start at mint second 35 of True Dreams of Wichita. Nice call. Ruby Vroom by Soul Coughing. 
right up to the plunge down Man sends the ray of the electric light Sends the impulse through the air down to home Stand on the arms of the Williamsburg Bridge Crying, hey man, well this is Babylon And you can fire it on a bus to the outside world Down to Louisiana, you can take her with you I've seen the rains of the real world Come forward on the plane I've seen the Kansas of your sweet little myth You never seen it, no I'm half sick on the drinks you mixed Through your True dreams Of Wichita So Doty grew up as an army brat, lived all over the country, and the, the record's got all this weird geographic to it, parts to it. Like, I love, you can stand on the arms of the Williamsburg Bridge and say, hey, man, this is Babylon. Like, that is a, just <laughs> such an amazing explanation. Of, and also, the, the club was right next, at the foot of the Williamsburg Bridge. So uh, he okay. definitely walked out of that club and then walked out of the Williamsburg Bridge and just, like, was like, I can't believe that I live in New York City. I'm an army brat. Um, it's got the Wichita. There's the City of Motor song that's probably about Detroit. There's definitely an LA song called Screenwriters Blues. Like it just is like this journey all through America. Fantastic. I love this record. It's a good record. I uh, I prefer Mike Doty solo stuff. I feel like, um, and I know I'm not supposed to. I know I'm supposed to like Soul Coughing better because that's when he broke through. But I actually think Haughty Melodics is best record. Um, it's where he. I feel like he gets better control of what he wants the backing track to sound like over his poetry on Haughty Melodic. And he also figures out how to do that repetitive thing. He doesn't have it yet, but you know, like all those songs on Haughty Melodic are getting a great phrase and just working it. Like almost like rappers work a great phrase, like lonely and the only thing you got to do to bat it down and the only thing you got to do to beat it down. Like, I just love that record. And that's all Ben. Like Ben dragged me to that show at Bonner. It was like, we are watching this guy and like three songs in, I was like, where's this Ben my whole life? I was late to the party here. So maybe that's because you, you like the, you like your entry point usually best with an artist, but. Uh, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not anti that record at all. I think that record is also fantastic. Yeah. Here's what I would say about this record. The bassist and the drummer and the keyboardist slash sampler have all gone on to have studio careers. Yeah, they're great. Like the it's a great band. Fiona Apple's bassist. And yep. the, the, the piano players played with David Byrne and a bunch of other people. Um, drummer's gone on to be a studio drummer. They're fantastic players. And they yeah. really bring like an extra edge to it. The other thing I'm really struck by is like you mentioned it with Warner Brothers Records. Like you would think that this band would have zero chance to have a major label deal. And yet in the 90s, like the record companies had so much money that they were throwing, they would throw a curveball like this. Like, yeah, these guys seem cool. Let's give them a quarter of a million dollars to make a record and tour around. And the thing that drives me so crazy now is with Spotify, anybody can release anything. Like a band like Soul Coffin could make Ruby Room in their basement for about 1500 bucks and have it up on Spotify. You know what everybody's doing instead? Everybody's trying to sound like a hit so that they can 
they can get on a television commercial, they can get into a movie and make money. And it just drives me crazy. Like the absence of record labels is actually making everybody sound more like one another. And, and it really, it's such a cautionary tale about art. Like I'm listening to this and I'm like, my, if I make a second record, it better be interestingly different from the one I just made because I have no one to answer to. Like, what am I doing trying to make write a hit when there's no hit maker machinery? And yet everybody I know is like, oh, I don't know if my record sounds commercial enough. And it I just pisses you. me off. Like, make your so own if, record. If Dahlia and Georgia were here, but especially Dahlia, she would be like, no, Jeff, you got that a little bit backwards because a big way to, to move into record sales is to do TikTok. And TikTok is looking for weird samples that people are like, huh, what's that? And Total bullshit. She, I wish she were right. But I, I just scrolled through TikTok yesterday and oh, everything not, sounds like the top do 10. The grandpa. I scrolled through it and I heard nothing of interest. That's I didn't hear not anything. Okay. Dude, I, tell her to send me examples of weirdness making because all i hear I is the top 10 over and over in fact it's one sample latched onto overused a million times <laughs> i find i challenge dahlia dahlia come on the podcast and prove me wrong i issue a challenge let's do all this right, hold on give me two seconds and i'm going to come up with something that's unusual and hilarious okay right because i do think like it starts to like throw videos at you that are like the videos that you've seen before. So it's not gonna go experimental. He's working on it. Okay, just so, on its uh, own. One of the TikToks that Dolly sent me, she knows how much I love mystical. I uh -huh. am a huge, crazy mystical guy. I think I chose a mystical song. You did. One of the songs, yeah, I love him. Anyhow, there's a mystical clip that's just him acapella rapping on a New Orleans radio station from like, you know, 2000, like right at the very beginning of his career. And so he's like, and if you see me in the woods and I'm fighting the bear, help the bear. <laughs> that's the line. And apparently that's a huge TikTok thing. Like they've stolen that one line and there's like, they put different scenarios underneath it of somebody who needs help. Anyhow, I think that's an example. Like they, they are looking for weird things that, that become memes. And also you can't do it the way you did it. Like you, but if you just, if, if I tried to scroll on, just be like, show me the most popular TikToks and they're just going to be all Ariana Grande. Like there's like a subculture. There's a weirdness. Yeah. 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 All right. Have that for sure. Good. Well, it makes me years, happy to hear that. 50 years of TikTok with 50 old white guys. Yeah. That really, that sounds like a really bad idea. Like, so I, I gotta up. say, I, I have feel that you guys are, are playing a practical joke on me because I've never heard of soul coughing. I've never heard of Mike Doughty. I've never Doughty. heard that song. Isn't it Doughty? I don't it's D-O-U-G-H-T-Y. I actually don't know either of them. Uh, so this is a real thing. Yeah, no, man, for sure. Soul Coffin. Yep. <laughs> You'll recognize the album covers when you see them. They were... Really? They, they, yeah. They, they made two records. They, they, this, there's a one with a yellow and black cover that's the follow-up to this. Yeah, L -O -So. That's the third That's it, They actually made three yeah. records. Yeah. All right. I'm going to check them out. That, I mean, it sounded really cool. It sounded right up my alley. Diggable. Yeah, you'll dig it. Diggable you will dig planets. it, actually, yeah. All right. Jeff Simons, what you got for 94? I want to start with, I hate false advertising. I am not a big false advertising guy. Okay. Um, when, you, uh, you, when something is named a particular way and you think you're going to get one thing and you very much get another. And one of my favorite 
terribly named things in America is a, is a university out here near where I live. There's a place called the University of the Pacific. Doesn't that sound like the kind of place you would like to spend four years at the University of the Pacific overlooking the Pacific Ocean and Sounds great. The fresh, but doesn't it sound great? Yeah. I imagine students from, from outside the United States thinking about studying in America and they're like, oh, look, there's this University Pacific. of the Pacific. <laughs> and then they arrive at the University of Pacific, which is in a town called Stockton, California. Oh, no. Is it? Stockton, California is deep oh. in the Central Valley. It begins oh. a series of Central Valley towns Stockton, Modesto, Merced, Fresno, Bakersfield. I 5 for oh. those of you that don't live out here. Um, oh. Cuts right through the center of the state. It is uh, it is California, not the palm trees, Pacific Ocean version of California, but the agricultural uh, center that feeds America, but is really flat and sad and culturally pretty rough. Stockton is also a very rough town. Do you know now when you go to Target and they've got those big cement red balls? Yeah. In front of the, the doors. No, do you know why? Not. Do you know why that is? Oh, I do know why. Because otherwise he would drive through the glass windows, steal as much shit as he could and back out with it. And that particular kind of smash and grab was started in, wait for it, Stockton, oh. California. It was it was uh, this particular kind of thievery found its origins and became a, a particular kind of expertise. Stockton is a tough town. It's uh, it's on the decline. It's the beginning of the Inland Empire. Um, not much has come out of it, uh, except my 1994 band, which which has its origins in this bizarre forgotten place. Not the Bay Area, not the not any part of anything, but uh, one of the iconic 90s bands, Pavement, which is my pick for 1994, comes from Stockton, California. The guy who is the kind of central figure of Pavement, Stephen Malkmus, who's gone on to a very long solo career gets his start in this band and he is surrounded by a bunch of his weirdo friends and they kind of almost accidentally make uh, a rec a debut record. Uh, Steve Malkmus and his friend Scott Canberg, um, who also goes by the nickname Spiral Stairs, are kind of making tracks together in their, in their basement and they get their friend Gary Young uh, to record them and play a little drums. And they make a record called Slanted and Enchanted, which comes out on Matador Records, which becomes a really big 90s label. Um, for those of you listening at home, I have bored Tim so much that he has left the podcast. He has actually exited the frame. Sorry, and, and uh, clean up some dishes there. <laughs> oh, you were saying. Holy shit. That was not what I would Timmy, he's still talking about. A vote of confidence. <laughs> anyway, speeding up. They make a debut record. I like it. I don't love it. Um, it's it's messy on purpose. It's called, it was called Slacker Rock when it came out because there are, there are mistakes on it. The tempos are kind of draggy and mid-tempo. The live show is kind of shambolic. And in some ways, Crooked Rain doesn't really improve things. Let me read this from the uh, Wikipedia page. During the Slanted Enchanted tour, Gary Young's behavior became much more eccentric. He would hand out cabbage and mashed potatoes to fans at the door of the venue, perform handstands, drunkenly fall off his drum school and run around the venue while the rest of the band continued playing. Nice. So they go back in to make this second record. And this is really, again, it's an accidental band. These are just kind of like 
guys from Stockton biting time. Um, but when they go in to make Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, the second record, they accidentally, I think, kind of realize that they aren't just kind of a weirdo one-off art project and they're not an ironic version of a rock band. They've actually become a pretty great rock band. The songs on this record are a huge jump forward. The performances, while still a little messy, are the perfect kind of messy. They really do develop a sound and a groove here. Um, again, when, when this record came out, I, I liked things to be a little louder. I liked things a little faster. I liked things to be a little harder. I rediscovered this record when they put out a 10th anniversary version, and I just fell completely like a ton of bricks for Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. I really love the 12 songs that compose the main record here. There's the, the, the deluxe 10th anniversary issues like packed to the gills with B-sides and live tracks. And there's like, it's super hit and miss, but these songs really, really sit together. I could play Silence Kid. I could play Stop Breathing. I could play Cut Your Hair. I, I mean, I really love a lot of songs on this record, but I'm going to play my absolute favorite pavement song, which is also kind of, it sums them up. It's called Range Life. And uh, again, like it's got everything this band uh, that they do well and everything they don't do very well, all kind of layered and smashed together. And to quote Mark Twain, this is an example where when all the ingredients blend together and the juices mix together, it just tastes better. So here's Range Life from Pavement. Sorry, Tim, I tried to go quickly. Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain by Pavement. It's a good record, man. I saw this band twice, but it was after this tour. I saw them on the, I think it's Bright in the Corners. Oh, no, that's way too late. Maybe Terror, Terror Twilight, 97 and 99. And they were still really good, but they were, you know, they're fighting on stage and Malcolmus was like really erratic and flipping off the crowd. And like they never quite, part of the charm, I think, for people at Pavement is they never really quite became a fully professional band. When Malcolmus went solo, he became a much more traditional professional musician, album tour, album tour, really consistent. Uh -huh. um, this band's jagged edges. Uh, when, when, and when this band gets it bad, they really get it bad. Like <laughs> they're almost like the Grateful Dead of indie rock. Like 
when pavement's on, they don't sound like anybody else and they're really pretty special. And when they when they suck, they really suck. They make a record after this called Wowie Zowie that now people are like, oh, it's a great lost record. I think Wowie Zowie is like all of their worst instincts and impulses <laughs> put together into a record. I really that's a hard listen. But this one really threads the needle for me between like amateurish experimental don't give a shit and some actual real talent and instincts. And it just, it's right there. I really like this one. Ben, do you like I pavement? Did, I dig this one too. I like pavement. And this is a really good sign. No one has mentioned my two favorite songs yet on this record. Oh, hit Flux it. equals rad. Love that one. And then my all time favorite on this is heaven is a truck eggshell. My problem with um, the one we played range life is it's four minutes and it's mid tempo. Um, Flux Rad is super fast in just yeah. two minutes, and Heaven is a Truck is super slow in just two minutes. And this perfect. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you want it. Yeah, it's a great record. I, and it's a it's for me, like it's the only place to start with this band. If you don't like this record, you will not like them. Is he and if you like this record, you might like the two records on either side of it, and maybe some some bonus tracks here and there. Is Machmas still making music right now? Yeah, yeah, man. He makes a record like every couple of years, like clockwork. And they're wow. pretty good. Yeah, no, man, he's he's he made a record called Real Emotional Trash in 2008 that I think is a really great lost record. I saw that tour as well. And it's a it's a great record. Not a good one. I really love that record. So he's still got he's still got juice in the rocket sauce bottle for sure. What album is uh, Jenny and the S-Dog from? That's from the debut solo record. Okay, which also has that hilarious song about Yul Brenner. That's I can never remember the name, but it's like. (laughs) It's, my name is Yul Brynner, and perhaps you saw me in Westworld. I played a robotic cowboy. It's so funny. It's such a great, great song. So funny. Good stuff. See, I was paying attention. I was on board. You don't know this, uh, Jeff Simons, but the the kids are out of the house Christmas shopping. Um, and so I've, I've got a limited time. So I'm trying to do things as I record the podcast dishes being one of the things you do when the families are out i'm impressed it doesn't get done otherwise you know what i'm saying See, look at that hey, let's get to my album of 1994 i don't know if i've told you guys uh that i'm a bit of an athlete and in 1994 i helped the stars restaurant softball team in hingham massachusetts win our softball league I covered center field like Venus flytrap, like nice. Yeah, it was Venus flytrap from WKRP in Cincinnati. Are Correct. you making a reference to the WKRP softball That's episode right. yeah. where Gordon Jump hit, gets a hit with everybody off the field? Venus, God, that's a reference. <laughs> so that so good. Um, also, Timmy, the best player in softball plays shortstop. Let's just be clear here. Well, that would require an arm. Uh, he could actually, that, oh, you didn't have an arm, so they put you in center as you walk the ball in. No, I just, I would, I would make sure I caught it or got it to the shortstop right away. Tim is a good athlete. I'm I have I'm witness I'm to his athleticism many a time. Anyways, on the drive to the softball field in 1994, we would play. My buddy Joe driving at the wheel of his rabbit. We would play Crazy Sexy Cool by TLC. 
And you know what my mother used to tell me, Jeff Simons? I shudder to ask, actually. Tell me don't go chasing waterfalls. She would say, don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to. Good advice. Crazy Sexy Cool by TLC. Awesome. Yeah. So that sounds great. I haven't listened to that since 1994. That sounds terrific. Your kids don't love that song. I listen to that song with great regularity. It's on my super fun kids mix. I love that one. Yeah, that's great. great. You know, Creep is great too. That record sounds great. I, I love Creep. So I great. Creep. Yeah. Yeah. Bump, bump. Um, um, all right. Bump. <laughs> Off the top of your top of your head. Three greatest female trios. Go. Well, I like salt and pepper. I'm going to go right. ahead and put salt, salt and pepper. Because Spinderella definitely counts. The Supremes? No, Are Diana Ross. And the Sup- I'm, not gonna, I'm not going with Diana Ross and the Supremes. Too straight. I always thought Diana Ross sang too, too much on Green. the one for me. What about Destiny's Child? Destiny's Child, I, I heard tell was very popular. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, you got to take the Supreme Smash. You're going to run out of room. We're supposed to get to three on this. And it has to be trios. TLC. TLC. What else we got? Oh, what's that? Aren't one of the, the, the female punk acts a trio? Are the Yeah, Yeah, a trio? Oh, they might be, but isn't there a dude in the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah? I'm going to go ahead and take the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. I don't think you can. I think I don't I, think I, that's an I all girl. Did. I just did. I'm taking the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> Try to stop me. <laughs> all right uh all right well you know we'll have a we'll have a podcast sometime devoted to female trios uh, we also have to have a, a podcast devoted to og podcast listener nina did you see that email she said unbelievable nina just Nina's throwing down problems. the next four seasons of ideas I in know. one single email yeah so we're gonna have to unpack that at some point 
That yeah, could just be, that'll just be an interlude podcast. Like we answer Nina's emails. It's like, it'll be two and a half I hours. It. I love it. Uh, All right, gentlemen. Uh, All right. Another triumph, Timmy. Well done. Have a so what's lovely... the, uh, yeah, the holiday season. Timmy's got a beautiful tree in the background I of the know, shot. Sure. Everyone, uh-huh. he's looking very festive. Look at that. Are, are any of you traveling? I'm going to Boston. Okay. Ben? We're definitely having Christmas here. There's some talk of maybe going up to see my mom. Okay. Christmas. All right. I uh, My folks are in California, but they are in Merced, very near Stockton, visiting my <laughs> Aunt Carol before they come to us. So I didn't know Aunt Carol lived out there. Aunt Carol lives in Merced. She sure does. Oh. Um, yeah. So be careful with the travel because the this thing, this, this thing is uh, contagious, man. Oh, we had crazy? all kinds of breakout uh, cases in the last two days of school. We we closed down just in time. Helen Helen's freaking out with the uh, the Ivy's closing for January. Oh, did they? I didn't realize that they had already made that call. Yeah, they already did. Yeah, I had book club, and in the book club, there's these two other UT professors who are English professors, and they were like, "Well, well do you think we'll be online?" And and what do you think? I was like, "Hell no!" Do you realize <laughs> the state we live in? We're a state institution. We're not going to be online. We're going to be in person, breathing on each other. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, you know, we have a 100% vaccinated community and uh, we played Did I say this last week? The uh, girls basketball team went to a tournament and played against an unvaccinated team, like a, you know, a a private school evangelical where they don't, they don't choose not, they choose not to vaccinate. And six of our kids got it. So even with the double vax and in some cases, three boosters. So I think athletics are a little too breathy and sweaty to avoid transmission. So unbelievable. All right. Well, a good thing we have a podcast to fall back on. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's why this damn thing started. That's right. All right, guys. Have a great great day. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric Acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Electric acid.